Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Somewhere between science and superstition. Such sights to show you. Strange Eons. Welcome to Strange Eons Radio. That's Eric over at his house. Hello. That's Vanessa over at her house. <clears throat> and I am Kelly at my house. Vanessa, how are you feeling? Great. <laughs> <laughs> you look amazing. I feel fucking awesome, guys. Yes, I can tell. Okay. Right, I definitely didn't have like a nap filled with sweats and shivers, so everything's really good. Uh, Vanessa's come down with something, probably monkeypox, and so we are recording uh, separately tonight. We just got back from Crypticon, and we recorded a live episode there, and I think that our next episode will be that live episode and our yes. thoughts on Crypticon. Yep. So... Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't really have anything else to talk about or anything <laughs> prepared. So, you know, how do you feel about just kind of diving into some yeah, of the no. stuff we saw? Yeah. Nothing else interesting going on other than what we'll be, you know, talking about for next week's episode. Cause that's all I did last week. So, right. <laughs> <laughs> Even one of the things I'm talking about is a movie that was at the festival. So <laughs> ah, nice. Well, let me just dive into something here. Uh, I think it was last week. That Vanessa, or maybe the week before, that Vanessa said she went and saw Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and mm-hmm. she she was still trying to kind of process whether she even liked it. And I was like, "That's ridiculous!" And uh, I went and saw it, and I don't know how I feel about it. <laughs> yeah, I told you, I told you. So, I, what was it that like you liked or didn't like, or are confused by? Well, I, I. Uh, First of all, I love Doctor Strange and I love Benedict Cumberbund and I love all the actors and I love all of that stuff. And I love Sam Raimi. Yeah, this was just a I thought this was just a so so movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought the effects looked great and, you know, it was well made and all of that stuff. The stuff that, you know, was bothering me in the far from home thing with, you know, Strange should be. A little smarter than this, you know, and he shouldn't have allowed this stuff to go on with the multiverse. In this one, I was kind of the same way. I'm, I'm like, I, this must just be really lazy writing that allows Strange to uh, to tell Wanda, look, it's been out for weeks now, you guys. If you don't realize that Wanda is the bad guy, then you haven't been paying attention. But uh, basically tells Wanda that they've got the girl she's chasing after. So that she can come right to them and get her. But I'm like, can't you guys, isn't your whole thing that you guys just open a door with your fingers? Can't you go wherever the fuck you want? Why not go someplace else now that she knows you're there? That's a really good point. Yeah, I do feel like the writing throughout is a little bit um, clunky. And just uh, there's some really cool, interesting ideas going on. But I don't think that the story is being told in the best way. Like when you get to each scene setup, it's super fun and crazy and like not so, but how they link together, like the logic, the movie logic is is pretty weird at points. Where just um 
it doesn't necessarily feel fun. It feels like it's confused and it feels like it's not being very thoughtful. It was definitely goofy in that way that Sam Raimi gets in almost all of his movies. And sometimes I like that. And sometimes I think it's really inappropriate. And here I I feel like this really kind of wanted to be a horror movie and had too many goofy moments to make it scary. Yeah. Uh, Although I thought that, uh, that Elizabeth Olsen was, you know, she was great as a villain. I just, um, having watched that whole series and knowing what the dark hold did, I still thought it was too much of a stretch. It did feel like a huge stretch. It felt like that. I don't feel like that was the pinnacle we left her on. Like, where we start here. It just, it really did feel like a very strange um, leap in her emotional state. Uh, not that she couldn't be there. Maybe if they left one episode earlier, then <laughs> that's exactly where we'd be. But yeah, I, um, I don't know. Um, as usual, looking forward to whatever's coming next. Yeah. Uh, which would be, I guess, Thor. Uh, Thor, but Thor, isn't there a sure. Disney movie also, or a Disney series? Is that the uh, new Ms. Marvel? I think that'll be after. Oh, you know what? I don't know. I don't I know think, when that is. Yeah, because we're going to see Ben Kenobi on Disney Plus first. And right, then... Right. Oh, She-Hulk. Oh, right. Oh, yeah. yeah. She-Hulk will be cool. I'm really looking forward to that as well. And then later on, we've got the Wakanda movie. Right. Um, well, uh, before I had any kind of symptoms... Um, uh, after, after a little bit of questionable, maybe food, um, problems. And before I thought I may or may not have some kind of box of some description, I went and saw men in theaters this weekend. Yeah, that's a crazy movie. Um, it's not a movie where you should be expected to have a a strong specific plot that you are trying to work your way through. It's more a series of themes and tones and states. And it's dealing with a lot of ideas and they're not going to give you any easy answers. And I actually respected that a lot because I felt like it was going to be another A24, like, try to figure this shit out. It's bonkers. And instead it's like, Actually, every time you think you might have an idea of what's going on, we're going to make sure you really don't. <laughs> like, really make sure that you, we're going to question the fact that you got to the place that you arrived at. There's a lot of questions about um, gender and um, feminine, masculine, and it's not a feminist movie and it's not an anti feminist movie. But it's if you go in thinking it's feminist, by the end, you're like, oh my God, I think I might be wrong about this and this and this. And if you go in thinking like, whatever your ideas are, by the end, you're just like, fuck, no, he's messing with me because there are these five other things that happened. So it was it was a really interesting film. My brain's still kind of spinning on it. Is that a recommend or no? Uh, depends on who you are, Jesus. Um, <laughs> yes. I would recommend it, but also there are probably a lot of people who aren't going to enjoy it. So it's like, if you liked um, Annihilation, if you like the weirdest parts of Annihilation, you'll enjoy men. If you liked Ex Machina and you were like, Annihilation was too much for me, then you probably won't like it. (laughs) 
<laughs> All right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, okay, I'm, I guess we'll go check that one out. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I liked it more than I thought it was. It was better than that sheep movie. So, <laughs> okay. thumb up for me. Good, good. Good, good bar to raise there. Well, I was, I'm going to talk a little bit about one of the ones that we had at the uh, Crypticon Film Festival this year, the What is Buried Must Remain, Ooh. which is the first film. I don't even know. It might be the first film I've seen, <laughs> much less shown at Crypticon from Lebanon. Oh, cool. And uh, it's by a director named Elias Matar, who I hope I got that right. I've talked to him a lot on email. He's a really cool guy. So I hope I didn't just butcher his name as my abilities are. Uh, the, one of the things I really like about foreign films is the glimpse into a different world that we don't really see. And the, for a little bit of the first part of this film, the introduction to the characters, the world where normally when you're watching, this is a found footage film, and normally when you're watching that, this is the part, the same part where you get all the people together and they're getting their cameras and they're talking about the stuff. But it starts in a FEMA camp. Hmm but looks like a FEMA camp and then goes to a couple of the other houses there. And they're very different houses than you would see in uh, any movie made in the U S and stuff. So I, I always find that kind of interesting. The lead character has a neat, her presence on screen for quite a long time is really good and draws you nicely into the movie because she's incredibly sweet seeming and very nice on camera. Then if they go to a haunted house and story-wise, it's not deeply different from a lot of the haunted house found footage films, but its execution is interesting and it takes some really wild steps and changes and uh, story ideas that are, are fun and interesting. And uh, as we've said on before, I like fine footage, but I'm not, it doesn't mean I'm going to, Oh, it's a found footage film. I got to see it. But this was one I thought was pretty good. I was glad to show it at the festival and it had a pretty good response and people seemed to enjoy it. And uh, it's currently festival run. It's not even on Letterboxd yet. <laughs> kind of look up some stuff about it, but it's not there yet. It lists as post-production on IMDb. So keep an eye out for it. It's going to show up a bench eventually, but because uh, it's going to get distribution. It's solid enough that it'll definitely get picked up. So, uh, yeah, I like that one. It's pretty cool. Um, I know that the, uh, the director was there for that, right? Did you get he to chat with him? He was supposed to be. He uh, wasn't able to make it, unfortunately. So, ah, okay. Yeah. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. Um, also too bad was uh, the remake of Firestarter, which is on <laughs> Peacock. Oh, no. Yeah, I saw oh. some comments from you on this one. Right up your alley of... Goodness, huh? <laughs> what a turd. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out how. It's a Blumhouse film. Zach Efron is a good actor. The kid is a good actor. Uh, there were a couple of things that I thought were pretty decent in it. The effects, of course, are much better than the, the Drew Barrymore film. And, and also, the Drew Barrymore film is also a turd. Uh, but it is somehow better than this one. So I, I was just super disappointed in the storyline and how they they just kind of zipped through 
everything. And the book isn't even really a masterpiece, but it is a good story. And it could have been, it could have been a really neat, uh, especially in a world where we've got films about superheroes and mutants and all of this stuff constantly. This could have been a really neat uh, adaptation to show, you know, a realistic look at somebody who's gaining superpowers through puberty. And, and instead, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what they were thinking. And I don't know what they were thinking like from script. I also don't know what Stephen King is thinking or how much he has to, how much he has to get paid for him to tweet a nice thing about every shitty adaptation (laughs) that comes out. Cause he was just like, really loved the new version of Firestarter. Like, God, you must think you're the worst writer in the world or something. It's weird, too. After, you know, they seem to figure out adaptations fairly, fairly well the last 20, 30 years of Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter and Hungry. And all those adaptations were done fairly well. I guess they're like, well, we need this script in a week. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> well, something. and even even it, you know, they've adapted King pretty well yeah. lately. Uh, you know, it and. 1922 on Netflix and stuff like that. This is right up there with that Pet Cemetery remake. Um, well, uh, I I actually saw a film that you had recommended, Kelly, that I ended up uh, finally getting around to, and that was the Adam Project on Netflix. Oh, and it was just such a delight. That was such a wonderful movie. Um, it was just so. I don't know, it was silly, but had pretty good writing. Definitely a kid's movie, um, I think, but still just just fun. I, I didn't realize it was by the guy who did Free Guy, um, and that all kind of makes sense. It makes it all come together, but really, really enjoyable. Um, some pretty good actors in there, including Mark Ruffalo, as well as, of course, Ryan Reynolds, and uh, the I'm forgetting her name, um, Ohura slash... Guardian Amora. Galaxy Lady. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can't think of her name right now either. I don't remember her name, but um, she was great. Yeah, and the kid is very good. Very good at being a young Ryan Reynolds. So, yeah, I'm really nice. pleased that you like that one. It is. It really is a feel good movie. Yeah, it reminds me of a lot of those like '80s sci-fi, like Last Starfighter, like. I don't know, movies where a kid is finds out that there is some greater secret about the universe and it goes on an epic adventure and just really enjoyed it. So yeah, nice. Yeah. Still gotta see that one. Uh, but I did watch another newer film, um, Guy Ritchie's new movie, Wrath of Man. Oh. Ah. Guy Ritchie, Jason Statham mm-hmm. combined for the well, it's okay movie of the year. <laughs> it's it's a weirdly told story that seems to be it's kind of a revenge story but then he seems to go after the wrong people for revenge but then he wants to get revenge on other i don't it's very convoluted which isn't necessarily unusual for guy Ritchie. if you want to see a new jason jason state the movie it is it is that (laughs) so I think I, <laughs> I think I liked it a lot more than you did then because I, I really, really liked it. Good, good. I it wasn't bad. It's just like it seemed like it was going one way, but then I'm like, well, why are you not then but this over here is obviously 
what you want to be going after, but you're going after all the people over here. But that, but you know, it's still a good watch. Yeah. But, uh, is that uh, is that on something streaming right now? Uh, yeah, I think it's. I think it was Netflix. Whatever it was, it was just oh, there it is. Let's just watch it. So very cool. Um, why don't we take a break? But before we do that, let's talk about uh, that strange new worlds show. Oh, Star Trek. Yeah, because because I started watching this based on you guys' recommendations, and uh, it, it is the only Star Trek show that at three episodes in, I'm like, oh, I can't wait for the next episode in the last 30 years, maybe because <laughs> yeah. I, think, I think I haven't been able to make it past three episodes of any of these new shows. Yeah. It's, it's really solid. Really good. It's so solid. It's the first um, Star Trek show in a long time that returns to an episodic format where you're also getting a perspective of different crew members. So that's the, the problem I have with disco is like, it's really like one long story with like kind of little individual yeah. stories, but really it's one long story told mainly from a protagonist perspective. You're not hopping into, you know, log from the engineer or so having the second episode be from Ahura's perspective on um, strange new worlds, was just like so neat. So exciting. Yeah. Have you seen the third episode yet? Have. Yes. Yeah, I mean that, and that's from another character's, largely from another character's point of view. So yeah, does yeah. a good job. Yeah, I I like the third episode a lot more than the second episode, and I would have liked the second episode just fine, except for the shots of the Enterprise uh, swooping through the asteroid field <laughs> like the Millennium Falcon, which was just ridiculous looking. It was very long. <laughs> it was also just stupid, and I was like, this didn't, <laughs> this didn't need to happen. <laughs> Nobody expects the. Enterprise to maneuver like a car. You know, it's a big, huge battleship and it takes some time to turn it. So, uh, but other than that, I, I'm really enjoying it. And man, that uh, that guy that plays uh, Pike is, of course, the guy who played uh, Black Black Bolt in that failed Inhumans show. And it's he's a he's a good actor and he's, uh, you know, ruggedly handsome and very charismatic and super likable. So. Uh, it took me forever to realize because I was like, I thought Eric said Rebecca Romian, Romaine, Rebecca Romjan. Rebecca uh, Romaine. <laughs> Re yes. I thought he said she was in here. And uh, I just kept waiting for this, you know, statuesque blonde to show up at some point. And, and I realized who she was. So I'm I'm really enjoying it. The guy who plays Spock is really good. Yeah. Laura is really good. Uh, and I can't wait to see what it does. Cool. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Thanks, guys. I, I'm enjoying it. Yay! Um, how about we take a break then? And then when we come back, we are going to be talking about wedding horror. Imagine owning the world's greatest love songs. By the greatest voices of our time. In a once-in-a-lifetime collection. Time Life Music presents the Ultimate Love Songs Collection. 36 beautiful songs. 
favorite artists. Have I told you lately that I love you? Rod Stewart. Celine Dion, Phil Collins, Gloria Estefan. Get the Ultimate Love Songs Collection on two CDs for just $26.99. But wait, use your credit card and we'll take $10 off. right you get two cds for just $16.99 then review other romantic collections satisfaction guaranteed ultimate love songs is not sold in stores So remember, use your credit card and get two beautiful CDs for just $16.99. Call 1-800-818-6806 to order the Ultimate Love Songs Collection on two CDs for $16.99 plus shipping and handling when you use your credit card. Call now or order online at timelife.com. And we have returned. Vanessa, this was, for some reason, your pick. Wedding horror. What could be going on? Uh, I don't know, man. Just, I guess I'm a girl and we like weddings. Um, (laughs) some, some new news you'd like to share. (laughs) Uh, so I got engaged and as part of that, um, I was thinking a lot about, um, you know, planning weddings and getting rentals and figuring out money and who to invite and wedding horror just for some reason popped into my head. I don't, I don't know why. Invite me, invite me. <laughs> You're already invited. You oh, know it. You both yeah. are. Oh, I see how it is. <laughs> I, I said you both are. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Holy cannoli. Um, so because of that, um, I finally got, got around to watching a movie I've been wanting to see for a while now, which was, a great excuse to check out Wreck 3 Genesis. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to bear witness to this holy matrimony, to celebrate a love that is caring, accepting, and enduring of all things. For what God has joined together... Let no man tear apart.
this is a movie that came out in 2012. Um, I'm a little bit newer to the Rec series, considering I actually saw Quarantine before I saw Rec. Um, <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. Uh, and this had a Rotten Tomato score of 42% from critics and 27% from oh. audience. Boo. Wow, really? <laughs> Holy crap. Audience did not love this movie. Um, the budget was uh, 5 million euros, which comes to about 6.4 million US. And the box office was 10.1 million US. So actually, you know, made a little bit of money. Um, not crazy amounts, but enough. It's a Spanish movie. It's directed slash written by Paco Plazen, who has 22 credits under his belt. You would know him from Wreck. And Wreck 2. Um, we also know him from Veronica, um, Eye for an Eye, The Grandmother, and an upcoming movie called Sister Death. It's uh, written by a couple other people. It's partly written by Paco, but also Luiso uh, Berdergio, um, 22 credits, including uh, Wreck. He got a credit, of course, for Quarantine and a lot of Spanish products uh, projects. So a lot of these people actually are mostly... <laughs> Spanish credits. Um, David Gallart, who's the other writer on this, has four credits to his name, two shorts, one TV episode, and this. But primarily, he's known for editing. He has 53 um, editing credits, including uh, Rick. <gasps> There's a cat. Cat is under the screen. <gasps> Hello. One on a couch, too. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, well. She's in trouble. She did something that made this room smell extremely bad. And so I'm not loving her right now. So she can be as cute as she wants. I'm just not going to, I'm not even going to look at her. Yours is much cuter than me right now. Um, anyway, uh, so that's just a little something special for all the people watching on YouTube out there. Cats galore. Um, so this is starring... Uh, kind of only four people who actually had photos on IMDb. Like they actually had enough credits to do that. Um, Leticia Dolera as Clara the Bride. She has been in 66 things, all, all pretty much Spanish, including Veronica. She was in 389 episodes of Al Salir de Clara, lots of films, and now starring in a TV show, Vida Perfecta. Um, so she's a, a pretty big TV star. Shockingly, Diego Martin, uh, who plays Col uh, Coldo, the groom, has been in 57 things, including 83 episodes of Policias and El Orzan de la Quelle, 56 episodes of Aqui Nohe Quen Viva, and currently in a TV show called Supernormal. Lots and lots and lots of Spanish TV. Shocking. And hey, guess what? Ismail Martinez, who plays the friend Rafa. He's the guy who has sex with the ladies. He's been in 79 things, including a lot of TV. He also did um, some, the stunt work for um, All About My Mother, which I thought was weird because I don't remember there being a lot of stunts in that. He was in Talk to Her and Day of the Beast, where he played three different roles nice. in Day of the Beast. So very cool. And then Alex Monar, who plays the nephew. Um, 
He's uh, a character called Adrian. He's been in 46 things. This was kind of his second major film role. Um, after this, he went on to be in 28 episodes of Red Band Society and a lot more TV. He's uh, currently in a show called La Rita. So all of these people are very well-known sort of TV faces. I think that's probably the big draw here. Um, no, no like Americans. They're not like getting other people from across the continent to... Um, from Britain or from or from the United States to to fill in these roles. So the story, um, there's so little real story to tell in this. So I it's it's a little bit padding. You'll just have to come on the ride with me. Um, we start off on this sort of DVD menu, which is pretty fun for like oh, it's clearly a cheesy wedding menu. Um for somebody's thing, you press play and it's like all the like highlights, like the, the cheesy star wipes and, you know, zooms and stuff. And like the cutout pictures of so-and-so with so-and-so. Um, and then it breaks into this kind of handheld video camera footage. We see guests are arriving at this, um, outside of this church and a man named, um, uh, I, I had it down as Coldo in one place and Kodo in another. So whatever, the groom <laughs> is waiting for the start of the wedding. He's greeting all the guests. He's really giddy and excited. And his nephew, Adrian, is running around with a video camera filming. Um, he runs into the... Uh, Adrian, the, the nephew, runs into the real uh, video wedding cinematographer who gives him tips is talking all about cinema verte and style and adrian is just in love with this guy he's just so in awe of how cool this like slightly heavier guy with very cool glasses but clearly like has not made it in his career but man he is taking this job ultra seriously and he's got like this um steady cam rig uh, which surprises me because if at any point we're moving between this handheld like camcorder footage into the steady camera, I do not know when that happens. It is all the same. So I think we're cutting between those two, but I have no idea when. Um, anyway, uh, we, he, he tells the kid, Hey, why don't you go inside and get some good, like family shots, go where I can't get to get that extra cool footage. And so we know that Adrian has this kind of task to go around the wedding and get these like very real moments. Um, in the meantime, an uncle shows up outside of the church and his hand is bandaged. Weird. I wonder what that's going to mean. He says that he was bitten by a dog who looked dead, but then woke up and bit him. <laughs> it's definitely not the third in a series of something. So, um, so you know that the uncle is kind of a ticking time bomb. Um, his friends arrive, that the groom's friends arrive. They're all, you know, singing and slapping each other on the back. Everyone's stoked. Then we hop to a different camera. We go into the sort of bridal area where um, the the bride is getting ready. Um, and she looks really nervous. She looks kind of like freaked out, a little bit pale. And you're like, oh, what is going on here? And one of the, the nieces is running around with a camera now. And she says, I want to tell you something, turn off the camera. So turn off the camera. Now we're in the car going to the wedding. So we're just hopping from um, record, stop, record, stop, record. It's very Cloverfield-esque. Bride still looks very nervous. Um, get to the church and uh, you're like, are they going to go through with it? Yeah, they are. It's fine. 
they're super in love and happy. Everything's great. Um, and as soon as they say their I do's, the groom grabs like a um, somebody with a guitar stands up and starts strumming. The groom starts singing and they do a big like song and the whole crowd starts singing. It's very sweet. Now everybody goes off to the reception and um, we start to just get these little moments of person, like different different people we're going to meet along the way. So we meet um, a guy who's definitely not SpongeBob SquarePants. <laughs> he calls himself Sponge John <laughs> um, for copyright reasons. He's there to kind of keep the kids busy while parents drink it and entertain themselves. Um, we meet uh, the bride's mom, who's apparently a total MILF, uh, the translation tells me. Um, people are complaining they can't get alcohol. The wedding vi- videographer is giving some like tips to the kid about editing style. Um, and then the kid goes outside to do an interview with Sponge uh, John. And um, in the meantime, you can see guys in hazmat suits are running around in the background. So something's up. And then the uncle it kind of stumbles past and he looks worse for wear and pukes a bunch of blood. And you're like, Ooh, that's not good, but it's okay because the wedding videographer basically says, Hey kid, get the fuck in here. The real stuff is happening. We got to get the speeches. So the kid runs in all of a sudden we see everyone's speeches. And again, lots of dancing, lots of love, all that kind of stuff. The, um, one of the groomsmen runs off with some French chick to go have sex somewhere. Um, just back to a ton of normal wedding stuff. Then we see uh, kind of hovering around at the top of a balcony over, over the dance floor. The uncle with the bite is, uh, looks like he's about to jump or fall. He looks very drunk the way he's acting, very smiley. And everyone's like, oh, please don't. And then he falls off. Um, he collapses onto a giant table. The music is like, er, er. he hops up and bites a large chunk of flesh out of his wife's neck. And at the exact same time, people just fly in from all over, like other infected, just tear through the building. So it's the uncle and then all these people. I don't know if he got them while they're outside, if they came in from somewhere else, no idea. But it's just total chaos on the dance floor. So the um, everyone's running around like crazy. The bride and groom are separated. The groom ends up in the kitchen with um, a few others, including the videographer. Uh, they barricade the door and the groom says, why the fuck are you still filming? And he's like, somebody's got to tell the story again very cloverfield and uh the groom gets pissed uh takes the camera smashes it and then we go into the title so we're 22 minutes into the movie and boom rec three corn uh sorry genesis not quarantine so now we have broken out of the handheld found footage style and we go into a very normal filming uh filming routine it's action horror uh, shot totally very very standard we occasionally cut back to a little bit more of a handheld style every once in a while because um, the nephew still has his camera that he's running around with and they do occasionally show um, cctv style um, footage from the different um, cameras around the venue but for the most part we're out of that um, we're strictly in a basically new flow a new type of movie the the movie then continues with the guys in the kitchen trying to escape they make it through some air ducts out into the outside of the venue. They're running around. Everything is chaos. Uh, they get to a small building where a uh, old lady lets them in and is like in, in, in and starts like bashing the demon 
you know, infected people with the head and like, oh, no, bad, close the door. They discover that there's like a few survivors still in there and he is determined to get back to his wife. They just got married, dang it, and he's going to find her. Just then on the loudspeakers, um, uh, the, the bride actually shows up and says, hey, um, I'm alive. I, I know from our love that I feel you out there too and you're alive. We're going to find each other. And by the way, I'm pregnant. Uh, <laughs> I've been meaning to tell you. So just raises the stakes. Um, so of course now he's even more determined to go and save her. He uh, This entire venue is in this sort of medieval space. In fact, when they cut their wedding cake, they're using a big like sword. So behind him, of course, there are suits of armor, like behind glass, museum-like. So he breaks in there, he grabs himself some suit, of, uh, a suit of armor, a morning star, and him and one of the other sort of event um, hosts who like puts on chain mail and they go out there trying to find the bride. Um, she is in this uh, room with wherever the AV unit is, where they've got the, um, the speaker uh, with a, a priest who seems extremely stunned, but he is sure that this is from the book of Genesis. Mm, maybe that has something to do with the title of this entire movie. I don't know why it's the book of Genesis, but that's fine. And he is uh, sure that, that, that these are demons who are inhabiting the body. So this is very much in line with what the first Breck um, movie is doing instead of the interpretations that we get through quarantine movies. So we're definitely 100% in Demonville. Um, she has to escape and leave the space, even though he's coming there to rescue her. Um, there, the, the beings are breaking in. So she gets out of there with the priest and, um, there is a series of times where they just keep missing each other. He keeps getting close to her and then she ends up having to go somewhere else. They're all over the place through different tunnels with different groups of people who are very quickly eaten every single time. So don't get used to anybody new because they are not going to last. Uh, until finally, of course, I mean, there really isn't much to talk about. Like he, he kills one person with a morning star. She gets a chainsaw. She kills a guy with a chainsaw. Like there's not, there isn't a lot to grasp onto here. You just need to know they're running and killing things, running and killing things until they finally do find each other. Um, there is one very exciting moment where the priest realizes that if he says, um, prayers or is quoting the Bible. I'm not quite sure what she's doing. The demons do seem to stop and they just kind of stand there and, and hover. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to do some spoilers here, guys. I'm sorry. If you have not seen this movie, it feels like a hard to spoil kind of movie. <laughs> if you know what I mean? It's a surprise, actually. There's, there's a lot of moments where you're just not sure whether or not these, this couple's going to make it. And there was a moment where they're in the kitchen and they're surrounded. And he said, you would have been a great mother uh, to our child. And they start to kiss and hold each other as the, the, you know, creatures are coming in around them. And I was like, they're going to kill them. They're totally going to kill them. But then on the speaker, the, the priest gets a hold of the, you know, AV system and starts speaking through, you know, the Bible verses and all of them just stop. And you're like, oh my gosh, maybe they're going to make it. And there's just one little part of me that's like, no, this film, it thinks it's very clever and it thinks it's very funny. And I think they're just going to kill him. I'm pretty sure. And there was, it was touch and go there. And you see, they make it all the way to the end. And there's a grandfather who um, is deaf. And so he doesn't hear 
the priest. And so he manages to bite her. She begs the groom to chop off her arm. So you get a really fun, like evil dead moment where he chops off her arm. She's like, I'm so proud of you. And she's running around squirting blood from her arm. Um, and it's like, it's all very tongue in cheek. It's all very like funny. Um, but it's me. So I don't find any of it funny. And uh, they, they get, he, they get right to the very edge of the venue where they can escape and get out. There's all this tent stuff and he picks her up in his arms and she's clearly turning. It doesn't matter that he chopped off her arms. So they get out there. Um, every, all the guys in the hazmat suits are like, stop, halt. And um, he looks at her lovingly and they start to make out and she rips out his tongue and they get shot all destroyed and they lay down and they're both barely alive and they just hold hands and die together. So that's this movie. The things I like about it. Um, I actually really love the found footage portion. I think that that was actually pretty strong. It was a good way to go. And I kind of wish they'd just done the whole movie that way. I felt like it got a lot less strong once they switched gears, but I mean, I didn't hate it. There was a lot of really good humor in here. Sponge John, who's like smoking up in the back a lot. I thought he was a giant piece of talking cheese for a long time. I didn't realize. (laughs) Um, There's like a really great moment where she runs into this girl and she's like, um, they're, they're talking and they have this really honest moment where the the bride is like, I didn't know I was going to, I mean, I invited you, but you know, I wasn't sure you're going to come. It's been so long. And the friend was like, I wasn't, I was surprised you invited me. I didn't, I didn't know what this meant. And, and she's like, well, I'm really sorry I invited you. And she's like, I'm sorry I came. And then they start <laughs> hugging and they're like, oh, this like really wonderful, like loving friend moment. Um, so that's that's really, really wonderful. Um, there's there's just little things here and there. I like the serious over-the-top videographer. He's great. The cheesy wedding DVD menu is awesome. And I love the setup. I think this idea of an outbreak during wedding is so cool. Um, I don't like... Some of the, I mean, it's a really low budget movie. So the CGI effects are awful. Like there's smoke and fire and it looks like somebody just bought a package and stuck it in. Um, I hated the ending. I thought it was stupid. I was just like, I don't know. It was so predictably bad. I was just like, oh, they're going to, okay, cool. You Bonnie and Clyde did it. Good job, guys. So here's a little bit of trivia. Uh, the movie isn't a sequel, but it's a parallel event to wreck based on two scenes. First, when Emilio tells Alex, who is holding the camera at about four minutes in, about the wound in his hand um, produced after being bit by a dog that he thought to be dead at a vet clinic. The same dog was first mentioned by the uh, sick girl, Jennifer, in Wreck, and later by the health inspector who said that the dog came back to life after being put to sleep and started killing the animals. And then the second time you know this is from when Diego is in the control room. Behind him, there's a live TV coverage of the quarantine department from the Wreck building. So it's all kind of supposed to be happening at the same time. Clara and uh, Colo walk through their infected guests after they contained. Um, they are contained by the priest's prayers. A similar alternate ending to Wreck had Angela going downstairs through the paralyzed, infected residents of the building. I didn't see the like alternative ending, so I didn't know that was a thing. So that was kind of cool. Um, there's a comic book compilation that was released in 2012 to accompany the release of Wreck Three, uh, titled Wreck Histories. 
In um, in Editus, which means untold stories, the book presents five different story arcs set in the Rex uh, series, illustrated by five different artists. Um, so those sounded kind of cool to check out. The final arc of which it follows the infected uncle from the third film and it reveals what happened to the infected dog from the first movie. Uh, the comic book artist Tony Moore, known for his work in Walking Dead, drew a poster for the film's promotion in the United States. Um, Leticia Dolera uh, Bride, uh, the, the girl who played the bride, had previously portrayed Angela Vidal, the reporter of the previous rec films in the parody Spanish movie. So that's the name of the film, Spanish movie. Uh, the rec scenes also featured directors Wame um, Balaguero and Paca Plaza. So I guess there was some sort of like scary movie version of this thing and she was starring in it. Uh, <laughs> I know it's weird, right? It's funny. And then the tagline, I think there's something lost in translation with this. It says, two radically different films from Paco Plaza and Juane Beleguero. That's the tagline, which I kind of am like, is it because there's part of the movie is one way and part of is a different way? So it's like kind of like two different movies, although Juane doesn't have a credit for directing. <laughs> So he just like produced on the movie. So I was like, I am really confused what this tagline means. Um, but yeah, so that was that was my movie. I I wasn't blown away with by it. I kind of wish it was a little bit stronger, but I didn't I didn't hate it. I wasn't like pissed at it at any point. <laughs> well, that's good. I think I remember kind of liking this yeah. one a lot, and yeah. uh, and probably more than Rec Two. Yeah, I never saw Rec Two. I wonder if the I remember it being goofy, mm. mm-hmm. like it's it's got a like an Evil Dead two feel to it, right? It really does. It has a I very wonder evil if that's, I wonder if that's the reason for the low rating. If fans want it, because the first two I don't feel yeah. had any kind of humor oh. in them at all. I think that's exactly what it is. I think it's between that and the fact that once it gets very goofy and, and Evil Dead feeling, which it really, really does between the like armor and like fighting the this sort of undead thing and the humor and then the arm being cut off. I think between that and the really bad effects, um, I can see people being like, what the, what the heck? This sort of sucks. So... Right. I can I can definitely see why they would have a low rating. Oh, you're saying like 20, 30 years from now, the third one is going to be the one that people think is the will become the undiscovered gem, like mm-hmm. many third films. <laughs> I want, done. Do we know? Is there a wreck for? There was. Yeah, isn't that like yeah. on a boat or something? That takes place oh. on a boat. So, um. This won't be played on your honeymoon night while you guys are relaxing <laughs> after everything. No. no, although, you know, I was thinking about making a montage to play on the side of the barn of like uh, fun, like horror movie scenes. Nice. Um, and it would definitely be included in that. So there you go. Very cool. All righty. Let's go to mine then, which has very little humor. So we'll go with that. Uh, 2015 Demon. Jeanette has more in love with this place than she is with me. No way. I'll show you something. <laughs> we can use those original bricks. We'll have a summer house for the whole family. 
We'll have to do something about this barn. Generic title, but pretty solid. Anyway, so this one is interesting. Rotten Tomato rating as well. Rotten Tomato rating. Critics ninety two, mm-hmm. crowd fifty four. Oh, <laughs> whoa! Yeah. That is huge disparity. This uh, budget, I'm not sure, but uh, box office, it must have just been a festival thing, like one hundred three thousand. So it didn't really have a massive release. Uh, directed by Marcin. Uh, Rona, who did The Christening, uh, My Flesh, My Blood, and a lot of TV. Uh, the writers were the director and Paul Maslona, who did Panic Attack and The Mire. Um, let's say, I'm not going to do a lot of stars because this is a Polish film and the names are foul. So we'll <laughs> see how this goes. Ile <laughs> uh, Tiran plays the um, lead there and it's the pursuit of Unhappiness was one of his films. Uh, the Red and the, the Giving, Escape from Warsaw. All right, here we go. Agnieszka Zulueska, who was also in The Mire, Silent Land, Shared Love, and Adzi Gabrowski, who's in The Mire. As you might tell, this guy hired a lot of people he's worked with before for this film, which is probably good because the acting in this movie overall is really good. Uh, the first two minutes of the movie present you to the 11 production companies that are involved in making this film. <laughs> it's like, looking down, look up, still on. All right, like, okay, geez, man. The film is a really powerful, what the hell is going to happen? What is going to come of this opening uh, where he's just taking a boat to get to his wedding and there's some weird shit going on, on the in the water and I'm immediately going, okay, I am interested in where this movie's going to take the mm-hmm. the director has a strong vision. Uh, there is something being portrayed here, but I don't know what it is. Uh, so, yeah, the, like I said, right away, I'm going, okay, I think I'm going to lean towards the critic side on this one. Uh, the base story's simple, kind of like Rec 3. 
except it's just a couple getting married and they're given some property. Her father gives them some property and a house on the property. And the groom is a, he does a lot of remodeling and he does a lot of work. So he starts to work on the house a little bit and decides, you know what, I'm going to dig a hole for a pool. So, okay. And um, digs up some human remains, uh, old human remains are just skeletal. Uh, tries to call some people, can't get a hold of anyone, so just buries it again. Um, this puts on kind of a realm where he starts to hear things at night and he sees things that he can't quite identify. Freaks him out enough that he ends up sleeping in his car for the evening instead of in the house. And he, at this point, he still really has, he has, didn't tell anybody about it. So nobody really knows what's going on. Wedding stuff starts and we're talking about bad weather so everyone's running around trying to avoid the rain as they run by the as they're leaving they run by a uh, funeral and there's an odd connection between him and one of the people in the funeral uh you don't doesn't explain anything you just get this moment go, okay this seems to mean something out of nowhere the husband who's been a very cool guy a lot of fun good to everybody around him becomes an absolute raging asshole for a few moments and uh, yells at his wife and is trying to prevent the bones from being uncovered when somebody else goes out there and starts digging where he was and it's a great turn of of um something's wrong a lot of people don't really seem to know notice anything going on with him so that so the wedding continues nice and normal um and he is pulled from the wedding quite a bit, doesn't quite seem to know what's going on, doesn't really know why he's feeling weird. So he continues to force himself to dance and try to have fun. Uh, he starts to get nosebleeds and all kinds of weird stuff is happening. Uh, the music is really interesting and pretty powerful in the film. Uh, it's very um, folk. It's very of the location and really fits the film because it's, uh, powerful, and some of them are kind of on the nose of uh, relationships and stuff. So it, it adds a lot to the film. At some point, he tries to confide with the priest, a priest at the wedding, that something's going on. And he, he begins speaking, I think he starts in English, but the priest doesn't understand him, and Polish is a second language. So he, he at that point, he just cannot talk at all. He's trying to talk and he cannot speak at all to the priest. So it's like something is stopping him from communicating with the priest. Um, so it continues to spiral down, culminating in him having seizures on the dance floor. This is where the movie really twists an interesting twist in the way the story is being told and that the entire wedding party gets involved in figuring out what's going on with the husband. But everybody else at the wedding seems to have no knowledge of anything or give a shit of what is going on and they just continue to drink and dance and party on uh the rains continue to go up and down to where they're really heavy at times um which at one point the wedding sort of moved outside and the rains come real strong so they all are forced into the house and even in the tight house the ship going down with the husband and the wedding party is ignored by all the people still partying and having a good time. And this is all very much for a reason. There's a purpose in what the director and the writer are doing here. 
as you go along, I'm not going to tell you <laughs> what happens and what has possessed him. But when you find out what's going on and how he's possessed and why he's possessed, it is incredibly powerful. And holy shit. And luckily, I did a little bit of reading on the movie before I saw it. So there wasn't, a, I go immediately know exactly what they were telling and why they were telling it. So that actually, that actually helped the movie a lot. And you might figure that out in the trivia. But I think it enhanced the film. It didn't hurt it at all for me. Um, so the, the wedding party continues to spiral down and down, disappear, separates from the wedding entirely. The, them not knowing what's going on is incredibly important to the story. And there, the movie has a lot of the criticism in the Rotten Tomatoes bad critiques are with the way the movie ends. And I think that's because of a foreign movie disconnect, uh, not knowing what's going on, which I am very glad that I read beforehand. And if you, this movie interests you at all, which it really should, damn, it's, it's strong. Um, I'll give you a little insight so you can get what is going on. But uh, I could tell you how it ended, but you, you go, what? So, that does, so I'm not going to, because I think following the film and the way it ends helps enhance that. So before I get into notes and trivia, I'm just going to say, actually, this, is, this was a good one. I'm glad I picked this one and found it because there's so much shit going on in this film that is, it's not laid out for you. You know, you said Rick is very much by the book, by the numbers, let's have fun. This is, this isn't. This, uh, it feels like a demon exorcism sort of film, but there's so much shit going on that it is a lot more. Uh, so I can wholeheartedly re recommend this film. Notes and trivia. The um, almost the entire movie. So it's a good wedding movie because almost the whole movie takes place during the wedding and the reception, <laughs> except for the opening scenes. So. Uh, the performances are all excellent. Uh, the the ability of people, the acting on some of the people's faces in the wedding party when they kind of there's those moments where they kind of see oh is something weird going on with the wedding party and they perform away from it to say no i don't really give a shit i'm going back to party so even the side characters that aren't doing much are contributing to what's going on this is outwardly based on the jewish legend of the dybuk dybuk i think it's how to say d-y-b-b-u-k dybuk dybuk oh the, oh I would have thought of that. It's gone after. I've heard that one before. I talked about that on a, didn't you do a film about a Dybbuk? The, yeah, about a Dybbuk box. Yeah. So it's Jewish folklore, folklore about a disembodied human spirit that uh, because of former Sims wanders relentless. I mean, it's a Jewish legend, but it's fairly similar to a lot of ghost legends. But uh, it has a nice, cool sounding name that helps it out a lot. <laughs> the main hit of this story, the main thing the filmmakers were going for is an allegory for Poland's national amnesia of its role in the Holocaust. <laughs> wow. Oh. <laughs> I read that luckily beforehand, so that's probably why this film was like a little extra powerful. Because wow. you know, you like um, a Serbian film, I always talk, this filmmaker always talks about it's a allegory for the way the Serbian army treated us and stuff. I guess you could get there if you want to. That's kind of a push. But this is spot on 
nailing it with the wedding party, ignoring everything horrible that's going on. And the, 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 I'm sorry, the wedding guests ignoring what's going on while the wedding party is going through all this shit that's happening. It's like, yeah, <laughs> you, you kind of got it nailed there. Here's a sour note. Uh, while the film was showing at the, a Polish film festival in 2015, the director killed himself in the hotel outside where it was screening. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. So. What? A little, little even darker moment for the film. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Interesting timing. It's like, I mean, it almost feels like, well, I told my story. This is what I want to say. And I'm, I'm done. It's, it's not lighthearted. It's not fun, but it's incredible, powerful watch. So there's the happy wedding movie for you. Demon 2015. Watch the people drink, party and dance. <laughs> that sounds incredible. Yeah, I like this. It's, it's awfully deep for a horror film. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's available on Shudder. Is that how you watched it? I believe so. Yeah, it was pretty easy to find. It was one of those that's in a lot of different things. The I'm only problem is you want to be careful. Make sure you find the 2015, because <laughs> there's a lot of movies called Demon or a version of the word Demon. <laughs> I'm going to guess a lot of the negative reviews came from people going, if I wanted to read a movie, I'd open a book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's a whole lot of, I watched this whole thing. It's like a horror film but I didn't see any horror. So I was like, what do you think a horror film is? is it, does it have to be have Jason in it to be a horror film for you? Because this movie's full of horror. Oh, I mean, sure. A lot of it's existential, but Jesus, it is. It's horrifying. <laughs> well, right. Hey, well, Kelly, can you lay in the room? <laughs> yes, I can. Uh, I took advantage of this topic to watch a movie that I tried to watch years and years ago, and I, I couldn't get through it. And I thought, well, I'm older now. And I'll be able to sit through this movie. And it is from 1985. It is called The Bride. He desired something beyond love. I might make the new woman, Clavel, independent, free, and a fit companion for the genius of Frankenstein. He created something beyond woman. Beautiful. What is she? You must obey me. I will not obey you. You didn't create me. You didn't create me. As a matter of fact, Sting. Jennifer Beals. The Bride. It's a little on the nose. Yeah. Uh, budget of $13 million. Box office of $3.6 million. Oh, shit. Rotten Tomatoes critics. I didn't realize it did that poorly. <laughs> yeah. Rotten Tomatoes critics have it at uh, 29%, and the audience agrees with them. <laughs> 33%. 
It was directed by Frank Radom, who directed uh, Quadrophenia, The Lord's Discipline, and the movie K2. And it was written by Lloyd Fonviel, who wrote The Lords of Discipline. He also wrote Cherry 2000 and the Brendan Fraser, The Mummy. And of course, it's based on Mary Shelley's novel, Frankenstein. It stars Sting. <laughs> uh, Quadrophenia, Dune, Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, uh, The Singer of the Police. It also stars Jennifer Beals, who was in Flashdance, Devil in a Blue Dress, uh, recently uh, The L Word, and very recently The Book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Clancy Brown, 308 credits, including Highlander, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai Across the Eighth Dimension, Shawshank Redemption, tons of voiceover work as Lex Luthor, Mr. Krabs, Destro, and Razar. Uh, he is almost unrecognizable as Victor the monster. For some reason, the monster's name is Victor. It also stars David Rappaport, a very famous little person, 41 credits, mostly television, but you would probably remember him as Randall from Time Bandits. He took his own life in 1990. And in a very uh, small part, a very young Carrie Elwes shows up. He is a complete prick in this and then one year later becomes wesley in the princess bride <laughs> neither of you have seen the bride i'm guessing no the movie opens up and i was like holy shit what have i been missing oh. um it is this amazing scene of of dr frankenstein this time called charles for some reason in fact for no reason charles <laughs> frankenstein And he's going through the process of bringing the bride of Frankenstein to life. So the monster is already there and it basically just expects you to kind of understand. Yeah. Remember the whole Frankenstein story? Well, this is a kind of remake of the bride of Frankenstein. So the monster is already there and he's waiting anxiously and the, uh, her completely bandaged corpse, almost like a mummy is, um, up on this big, huge, uh, she's stretched between all these ropes and there's this gigantic lightning storm going around and, uh, everything's going crazy. There's uh, Tesla coils and all this shit. And the, the set design in this place is fucking amazing. I was just like, holy shit, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, so Frankenstein's assistants are running around they're all turning dials and counterweights and the entire scene is really the highlight of the movie one of the counter dials uh, or the counterweights is they they twist this dial and this big huge bag of sand kind of tips on its end and starts pouring the sand out like an hourglass but that's the weight that was needed to get the the body to come back down after it's been electrocuted by lightning and it keeps getting electrocuted. They're trying to uncut her and everything. And they're just like, Oh shit, this is really going to fuck her up. Also sting is in, you know, like a pre Victorian fashion and his hair is perfect. And, uh, I am a big fan of the police. And I was just like, man, sting looking great. Uh, really bummed that he didn't write like a song about Frankenstein for this movie. <laughs> So anyway, they succeed in bringing her to life and they start unwrapping her bandages and everything. And she is absolutely stunning. Not a flaw on her skin. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in fact, her makeup is also perfect and on point, (laughs) especially for being dead just a few minutes earlier. 
but then uh, the monster, Clancy Brown, he wants to just steal her away. And he kind of rushes in and, and pushes them around. And she is, of course, terrified of him and rejects him. So then he flies into a rage and just starts throwing shit in the laboratory. And of course, everything is on fire and the place starts falling apart. And only Charles and the bride, who he has called Eva, since he considers himself a god, escape. The monster and his assistants all perish in the fire. Or do they? So, so far, I'm totally in on this. I'm loving the look of this and everything. So Frankenstein then takes Eva back to Castle Frankenstein, where he starts educating her, falling in love with her. So although she is a fully adult woman, beautiful and all of this stuff, she needs to be taught the basics of how to eat and clean herself and all that. But she can speak and uh, she understands the language and all of that stuff. So. Um, she has no memory of anything before she was given life in the laboratory. Uh, him falling so obviously for this woman starts putting a strain between him and his family caretaker, who is this kind of a matronly old woman who does not approve of this sensual young woman wandering the castle, often naked. Oh. Mm-hmm. So all of this stuff is actually pretty interesting. But then the movie shifts and there is another plot that's going on. And it follows Victor, the monster, who did survive the fire. And he wanders into a town where he befriends this little person that the town folk always shit upon. In fact, when he finds him, a bunch of kids are, uh, they've knocked him over and are just kicking him and everything. So so the monster shows up and he uh, scares the kids away. And Ronaldo uh, is the name of the little person. And he's like, hey, we should be best friends. So he's super likable. Um, but he becomes a bit of a shit once he realizes how strong Victor is to the rest of the town folk. And in fact, uh, Victor doesn't even have a name. It's Ronaldo who gives him the name Victor. And so Victor is now in love with this guy because his own creator wouldn't even give him a name. And, and so Ronaldo and Victor are fast friends. They become involved with a circus. And the two of them play different roles in it. Ronaldo actually does this kind of trapeze gimmick where he's up in the top of the tent swinging around, but then he falls. And uh, just before he hits the ground, there's this hidden rope that stops his descent. So everyone's like, oh, oh. (laughs) so um, it's a big crowd pleaser. And I think that Victor is basically just acting as like custodian. So uh, in our other story, Eva has been learning at this uh, ridiculous rate of speed and Charles asks her to marry him. And then at their engagement party, he starts getting very jealous because she is king shit at this party. Everybody just falls in love with her immediately. She's super smart and uh, and charms the pants off of all of these royals and everything who have come to see her. And she actually trips Charles up on a question that somebody had asked and he answers incorrect. She gets right. And so he's now he's um, now he's pissed off at her. Is um, the relationship is moving forward super quickly and it's already falling apart. I'm loving everything that's going on in the Charles and Eva story and the Victor and Ronaldo story. It's a good thing that Ronaldo is so likable. Otherwise you're just like, "Uh, can we get back to what's going on over here? So at the circus, Ronaldo has happened to make an enemy of the circus owner. And during his falling gimmick, somebody didn't attach the rope correctly and he actually falls to his death in front of the audience. Victor is, uh, you know, he's just devastated and he goes back to his, to their uh, wagon that they shared and he finds that 
somebody has rummaged through it. And he overhears the circus owner complaining to someone that he didn't want the dwarf dead, just put in his place. And then Victor goes on a killing spree through the entire circus. <laughs> it's all pretty good stuff. But uh, I was kind of like, eh, can we get back to whatever else is going on? Uh, he escapes and he decides he's going back to Castle Frankenstein to check on you know, his supposed bride. So the story is already falling apart by now. It's way too long and has too many moving parts. But then for no reason, they throw in a psychic connection all of a sudden between Eva and Victor. So it it is absolutely unnecessary and never amounts to anything important happening because of it and everything. So I don't know why it's there. Just absolutely muddies up the story. But anyway, uh, the climax then is, of course, uh, Victor and Charles fighting on the parapets of Castle Frankenstein. And uh, and even though this is all shot in on location in Germany somewhere and they've used a real castle and they've built extra things onto this castle to make it look really cool, it doesn't even have the excitement of like the old Hammer Frankenstein films had with Peter Cushing and everything. There's something just completely missing out of this movie soul or something like that um it just kind of fizzles out in a very very disappointing way that's too bad yes i have some trivia though uh it took around five hours a day five hours a day to put the prosthetics and makeup on clancy brown to turn him into frankenstein monster victor this included about three and a half hours to put it on and two hours to take it off he is unrecognizable and since he is Speaking in a, you know, fire bad kind of way, you don't <laughs> recognize his voice or anything like that. I mean, it's the very next year he becomes the Kurgan in Highlander. So, yeah. So uh, around two weeks into principal photography, the production shoot had to shut down for 10 days due to Clancy Brown getting a skin infection because of all of the makeup. Uh, to prepare for. OK, now this <laughs> this is on Wikipedia or maybe it was on IMDb. I. I will say this. I did not vet this comment. It sounds like uh, it sounds like a urban legend to me. To prepare for scenes where her character had to be crying, Jennifer Beach would listen to a tape for about 20 minutes prior to filming. She wouldn't say what the tape was, but the production unit swiped it and found out it was an album by Sting. <laughs> okay. Now, in 85, I don't think Sting had his uh, his solo album. So, yeah. so she would have had to been listening to something by the police that was either so emotional or perhaps she hates um, uh, reggae music as much as I do. And she was just like, boy, this song would be fucking great if it didn't have a reggae beat to it. I don't know. Oh, my God. Um, and then Jennifer Beale's performance in the film earned her a Razzie Award nomination. For worst actress. I really hate the Razzies. Yeah. The fact that this thing exists just yeah. pisses me off. It, I agree. It's just the worst in people. Uh, Taglines. Uh, the obvious one. Here comes the bride. Ah. Um, <laughs> I kind of like this one. A woman born of electricity. A man driven by obsession. <laughs> and then this one sounds really stupid. Uh, Dr. Frankenstein invites you to meet his newest creation. All I could think was, so come up to the lab (laughs) and see what's on the slab. Uh, That's my movie, The Bride. I would say this, absolutely worth finding and watching the first 10 minutes of. Just 
just spectacularly gorgeous and everything. And if they had just, if they had let Victor die in the fire and we just got this uh, story of Frankenstein creating this perfect woman and then becoming super obsessed with and jealous because everybody else realizes she's perfect. I think that would have been a really neat, you know, movie that, that could have done something cool. But uh, I'm guessing if you're pitching a Frankenstein movie to Paramount, they want to see Frankenstein's monster in it. Sure. Mm. So that's my movie. Yeah. Which means it's my turn to choose for the next one. And because I was thinking about this movie. I was like, you know what? It would be cool if, what if we went back to those initial universal horror films, uh, Frankenstein, Dracula, The Wolfman, Mummy, Invisible Man, Creature of the Black Lagoon. And we did, we found a movie that had one of those characters in it, not necessarily a sequel, but something that has been made in the years since that has those characters in it. There's all sorts of, you know, I imagine American Werewolf in London is a fine enough retread of uh, the Wolfman and stuff like that. Lots of Hammer to choose from. Yes, lots (laughs) of Hammer films. How do you guys feel about that? Yes, great. All right. Okay. Well, then with that, I think this is the part where we thank everybody for... Oh, wait. Also, I should remind the listeners that episode that we're talking about now will air after next week's episode which is going to be our Crypticon live show. Yes. So now I'll thank everybody for participating in the value for value model and remind everybody uh, the value for value model is you, I assume are getting some kind of value <laughs> from this show. If you've watched the entire thing and, uh, and then you figure out what that is and, and send it our way, whether it's money, whether it's likes and shares, whether it's uh just sending us comments or even content. A lot of the times yeah. we're getting messages from Ron or Danny and that becomes content for the show. Got All Micah, of that stuff. Micah back value. again with the <gasps> movie challenge for us. Oh, that I can't wait. All of us wait. need to take what is that, the G.I. Joe animated film from like 87 or something along those lines. <laughs> Yeah, I I've got to watch this now. <laughs> yes, checking it out, Micah. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you. Um, and thanks to all of you. Cannot thank you enough. Uh, really humbling to have so many people who reach out, uh, either financially or give us their time or their talent. So yeah, yep. All right, guys. What do you say that we uh, close this down and we come back? in one week hopefully vanessa is feeling better and we will talk about uh uh Crypt- universal yeah. monsters well crypticon but yeah and then oh there goes vanessa yeah. we lost her all right <laughs> see you guys bye brain Geons radio is artisanal quality podcasting handcrafted with all natural ingredients and edited to perfection by eric margaret our blistering theme song is strange eons part one by the band nightshade and is used with permission Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider dropping a positive review on Apple Podcasts. I guess I'm a girl and we like weddings. <laughs>